Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. So we'll continue with uh, Heaping Coals of Fire, and this is going to be part number three of this particular study, part number three, Heaping Coals of Fire. Praise God. All right, our test remains the same, Romans 12, verse 20. Therefore, if, any, if thy enemy hunger, feed him. If a thirst give him drink, for in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. And he said, Be not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. Hallelujah. And we said, Romans 12, 2021 20, is taken from Proverbs 25, 21 to 22. And I would like to read this from a simpler translation, book of Proverbs 25, 21, 22. From the Living Translation. It says, You can use that one. I want to read from Living Translation. If your enemy is hungry, give him food. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. This will make him feel ashamed of himself. And God will reward you. Amen. Yeah, we said it last week, and this is very, very important. We are talking about. God rewarding you for showing love to your enemy. I was trying to ask a question. If it's not important to God, how would God want to reward you for showing love to your enemy? If it is what we believe by way of praying to kill our enemies and all of that. Is God going to be rewarding us because we kill our enemies? Of course, the answer says no. That means there is something very specific that God intend you to do here, which has to do with the heaping coal of fire, like we keep on explaining. That means you're showing love. You're showing love to your enemy, God. The Bible said he rewards you. Amen. And so, I want us to look at a particular spirit that God intend us to carry Today, when I mean today, I mean in this present dispensation, in this present age, in terms of New Testament believers, in terms of, you know, often and again, what you see, people make a reference to maybe what happened in the Old Testament, how God killed people, how ground opened and then they entered and so on and so forth. And I always try to make you see this. If that is the concept and what we must go with, then of course some of you and all of us were never supposed to be alive because we were all enemies of God before. Amen? If, if we must go by that same principle, if we must begin to say, well, this is how God operated, enemies, you know, grand open, swallow them, and then David killed, and all of those things, and that is the way we must go today, then of course we were not qualified to be saved. Because we were also enemies of God. It means God should have allowed the ground to open for us to go in and then be killed. But I want to show you another spirit, which is the spirit that we are supposed to be carrying today. So go with me to book of Luke chapter 9. I would like us to read from the book of Luke chapter 9, read from verse 51. Praise God. Yeah, and the Bible says, and it came to pass, this is Jesus. He was passing through, actually to Jerusalem, going towards the crucifixion. And then he has to pass by a city, which are the city of the Samaritans. And you have to understand something. The Samaritans, they were, uh, I would say, vouch enemies against the Israelites. Amen? Yeah, they were vouch enemies against the Israelites. Northern kingdom, southern kingdom. They had nothing in common. You remember the story in Luke chapter 4. I mean, yeah, John chapter 4 rather. When uh, Jesus met the woman at the well, John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman, remember that. And the woman rightly said, what have I got to do with you? I mean, you being uh, an Israelite, me being, I mean a Jew, me being a Samaritan, what connection do we have? Nothing in common. And you see why Jesus have to use the story of the Samaritan to illustrate 
the man that was bruised, robbed on the road to Jericho. You remember that? Good. You remember this story? Good. And Jesus had to use a Samaritan to illustrate who came to assist the man. Remember the Jews, the priest passed, the, Jew, the priest was a Jew, the Levite passed, was a Jew. You understand that? Good. Then a Samaritan came and picked this person, and Jesus now said, Who then is the neighbor? You see that? So he was reconciling the enemies. He was trying to say, You don't have to keep on keeping enemies. The person you call your enemies is actually your neighbor. So if the Samaritan was supposed to now become the neighbor of the man that was bruised on the way, I remember the man that was attacked on the way was supposed to be an Israelite. So who was the neighbor to the Israelite? The Samaritan. And you call him the good Samaritan. But that's somebody that the Jews don't have anything to do with. And again, you see the same story. That's why he has to go through the Samaritan area to go to the well. To be able to talk to the Samaritan. What do you think Jesus was doing? He was trying to get back the Jews, I mean the Samaritan, to come to become one fold. Reconciliation was what was on his mind in all of this that he did. Is that alright? So here is a story. He was passing by, passing by, you know, a Samaritan village, in quote. And then um, we are made to understand that he was supposed to pass the nice there, or whatever the case may be. But they rejected it. And then the disciple felt insulted. So we're going to see the reaction. But let's go on now. Verse 51. And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be re- received up. He said for they set his face to go to Jerusalem. So when he said received up mean it's about time to be crucified. When he was to go to the cross. So he was not going to Jerusalem. Now the next verse says. And sent messenger before his face. That's to go ahead of him. And they went and entered into a village of the Samaritan to make ready for him. And then, 53. And they did not receive him because his face was though he would go to Jerusalem. There is something here, again, the people did not see. His face was to go to Jerusalem, meaning his intention was to go to Jerusalem. So, verse 54. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, you could remember James and John from the Bible, they were called the sons of thunder. And this is one of the reasons they called them the sons of thunder. They like calling thunder from heaven. <laughs> they like violence. <laughs> Amen. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, without that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elijah did, there's a spirit. This is the same guys that the mother went to Jesus to say, permit my children. They told the mother, go tell him that we sit on your right hand side. The same guy. Permit us to call them fire from heaven because they refused to accept you to come to the village. As Elijah did. See their mindset. Okay. But he turned and did what? Rebuked them. And said, you know not one manner of spirit ye are of. That means there's a particular spirit that we are supposed to carry. We are the disciples of who? Of Jesus. There is a different spirit with which we are made up. Are you getting that? A different spirit. Say, you don't understand the spirit with which you are made up. Even though you are my disciple. You may be following me all these years. Three and a half years in case. You've been walking along with me, but you don't even understand yourself yet. You don't even know who you are yet. You don't even understand my own spirit. You have not been able to relate to me to identify with my spirit. Remember, the word said he rebuked them. He didn't just cancel them. It was a rebuke. Verse 56. And he told them why. For the Son of Man is not come to do what? Destroy men's lives. But to save them. And they went to where? Another village. Praise God. So, this is the point. The rejection by the Samaritans is what infuriated these two guys, James and John. The first, Jesus was insulted. The first, it was an insult to their principal. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. 
And so they said, no, the best way to deal with this guy who insulted you is to deal with them the way Elijah, Elijah dealt with those people. In the book of Second Kings, you can read that story from 9 to 12. Second Kings chapter 1, 9 to 12, be able to see the story. Maybe we'll just read it very fast. Second Kings chapter 9, I mean chapter 1, 9 to 12. Second Kings. Praise God. You know, it was a story when it went to uh, chapter 9. Sorry, chapter 1, I said, not chapter 9. Chapter 1, Second Kings chapter 1. Praise God. Right, so the Bible says, Then the king sent unto him a captain of 50 with his 50. Captain of 50 with his 50, right? And he went up to him, and behold, he sat on the top of a hill, and he spake unto him, Thou man of God, the king has said, Come down. What was the next thing? And Elisha answered and said to the captain of 50, If I be the man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And there came down fire from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. You see that? Look at the next thing. Verse 12. Praise the Lord. And Elijah answered and said, Them, if I be a man of God, let fire come down. This another said. So if you go through the story, Two set of 50-50 went to Elijah. Is that okay? What did he do? He caused fire to come down, consume the man that was the captain of the 50 and his 50 people. Then a third one came and said, man of God, please. We're just appealing to you. Uh, you, you could please come down. <laughs> you understand that? I recognize that you're a man of God. I know. I know. I'm not here by, by fire by force. No, I just need you to understand. You understand that? He appealed and he spared those people. Now, so this is what the disciples were referencing to. They had this mindset. The way Elijah killed those 50-50, we can do the same. Will you permit us to do that? You see that? Now, you see, they, they don't understand the ministry of Jesus. Even though they have been following him. They don't understand the spirit which which was operating. Praise God. This is the same Elijah. How I many of you remember? Elijah. Elisha was the one that was pouring water on the hands of, of who? Of Elijah. Elisha was pouring water on the hands of Elijah. But what, I mean of Elijah, but what happened to Jesus Christ in John 13? He was the one that washed the disciples' feet. Completely opposite. Completely opposite. So, you can't be referencing the, the, the story of, of Elijah as an example by which you can operate today as a believer, as a Christian, completely opposite. And Jesus said, you don't understand the kind of spirit with which you are made of. I didn't come to destroy people's lives. I came to save lives. And so, your mindset should not be of destroying people, but to do what? To save people. Amen? No matter how bad the enemy is. Listen. The things you do is not to prove any point, but to have acceptance before God as a believer. We are not doing anything to prove a point. We are just following the instruction of our leader. Praise God. So he came to save lives. He didn't come to destroy lives. So if you are having the mindset of praying to destroy people's lives, then you don't have the spirit that you are supposed to be having as a Christian. Your own spirit is to save lives. Praise the Lord. What are some of the characters or what are called, what qualify these people? The attitude of these people. These two brothers. The James and the John. What is their character? What is their nature that Jesus actually abhor right now, if I may use the word? Number one, they are full of pride. They are full of pride, they are cruel, and they are full of revenge. Three major characters you can find in these people's life. And Jesus is saying, my spirit does not contain those things. 
pride, cruelty, revenge. My spirit does not contain those things. The spirit by which you are made up right now, today, does not contain those three factors I just mentioned, which was very much prevalent in the life of the disciples of Jesus, especially this James and John. Like I used to say, Peter was forgiven for lying, for denying Jesus. How many of you remember that? But he could not still extend the same mercy to Ananias and Sapphira. So, your full of the Holy Ghost does not in any way indicate that you have the Spirit of Christ. And that may be hard. You may be full of the Holy Ghost. You may be doing signs and wonders and miracles. But that is not to say you have the Spirit of Christ. Did you get that? You lied. You denied the Lord Jesus Christ. What other offense is greater than that? But he forgave you. He even prayed for you. But here was somebody you find a light and you said he should die. Hmm? And then the next thing the wife comes in, the wife should die. And you feel very happy that you're manifesting power. But somebody forgave you just yesterday. You do not have the spirit. You may have all the powers, yes, to kill people, but you don't have the spirit of Christ. That's what I'm trying to establish. Spirit of Christ does not contain revenge. Spirit of Christ does not contain pride. The spirit of Christ by which you are made of is not cruel. It's not wicked. Praise God. The modern day church cannot take this in. They want revenge. You know, like I was saying the other time, you go along, you see a lot of crazy, crazy billboard going on. Hmm? They must announce the funeral. They must announce the burial. All of those things. You call them programs. They are targeted at enemies, supposedly. That is not the spirit of Christ. He came to save lives. He didn't come to destroy lives. We are called to save lives, not to destroy lives, no matter who, no matter what. Praise God. Are we here? So, they have pride, like I said, they are cruel, they are full of cruelty, and they are full of revenge. So dangerous is a misguided zeal. They have a zeal, but misguided. If you have a zeal that is misguided, it's as dangerous unknown to you. Without you realizing that in the true sense of it, you are out of the way. So this is the same spirit we are carrying on today. What is it? Spirit of revenge. Spirit of cruelty. Huh? And all of them is coming from the spirit of pride. Unknown to us. Because we can pray certain prayer and people can fall down and die. Then we are very proud and we are very, you know, happy about that. But that is not, I repeat, the spirit of Christ. The spirit of God and fire from above upon those who opposes us. Or opposes our faith is not of Christ. Praise the Lord. Are we here? You see, those who organize these programs... To call them fire, to kill people, I call them Christian terrorists. Hallelujah. They have the same spirit that the terrorists have today in the world. You don't believe my faith, I kill you. That is what Boko Haram is all about and all other faith you can think about. 
And so if you also become a Christian and you are going by the same spirit, you are a terrorist, but though you carry the Bible. So all of these programs are nothing but Christian terrorism to eliminate those who don't believe in their own faith. And it's against the spirit by which we are born into the kingdom. It's not part of the spirit of Christ. Hallelujah. Praise God. And that shows that people don't understand the kind of faith that they are supposed to be exhibiting or the faith that they are born into. They don't understand it. They have no understanding about it. Jesus rightly told them, you don't know the kind of spirit by which you are what? You are made of. You have no idea, no clue about it. So you may be a Christian without knowing why you're a Christian, in fact, who you are as a Christian. You might be in the faith without knowing the essentials of your faith. It is not that you have to go to heaven, that's why you are born again. But to bring the mind of God down. Bible says all that God has shared his love in our heart by which we share the same love abroad from our hearts. The principal thing that guides us as a people of believers is that we exhibit love towards our men. God so loved that he gave is the key. Praise the Lord. So here this Christian, I mean this these two disciples have so much zeal, but they have no knowledge of the reality of their new births. And most Christians are suffering from the same thing. You may have results, but I'm trying to tell you result does not authenticate your fruit in terms of your faith. No. If, if you pray and people die, it's what you think authenticate your belief. What about the traditional worshiper? What about the harvalists? That kills people. Praise the Lord. So it's evident from the above passage we just read that most Christians are not on course with the mind of God. Christ came to redeem and to save people. So no matter what, no matter who, this is what he has in mind for you. To save them that are lost. In the true sense, they are lost because they don't have the mind of God. Hallelujah. Now, you tell me, if Jesus was so interested in killing people, why will he save Apostle Paul? I'm even making him a minister. Paul was not just only against the faith, Paul was killing the believers. In the midst of he killing the believers, he came and saved him, and not just saved him, he commissioned him. Will you do that to your enemy? Remember, he asked him a question. Saul, Saul, why persecuted thou me? He was dealing with Jesus Christ because he was dealing with his body. Christ at the head of the church. And he told him, why are you persecuting me, Paul? I mean, Saul, why are you doing this to me? But right there, he saved him, and not just that, he commissioned him to carry the same gospel that he was fighting against. Ask you the question, to told of the New Testament written by Apostle Paul, if Jesus had killed Paul on the road to Damascus, tell me, will you have those epistles to read? You must be wiser than Jesus, I'm sure. Praise God. To turn of that which you call the epistles today are the works of Apostle Paul that Jesus saved and commissioned in spite of what he was doing. It wasn't evangelized, in quotes. Nobody presented anything to him how much Jesus loved him or something like that. He was killing people. So he was a terrible murderer. Hmm? And he was targeting 
a set of people, and that is Jesus Christ himself, his body. But in the midst of that, Jesus saved him, commissioned him, empowered him with spirit. He wrote to Todd of the New Testament. We're all talking about Apostle Paul today, but I was the greatest enemy of the faith. So I ask you, if you were the one, what would you do? With the kind of spirit with which we walk today, if you were the one, what would you do to Apostle Paul? You finish him on the road. And you finish him on the road, you finish him with all the grace that was supposed to be in his life. You finish him on the road, to third of the New Testament would not have been available. You don't even think of the consequences of what you do when you kill those people you call your enemies. This is not the spirit of Christ. I repeat. It makes no difference whether you're getting results, no matter where you minister, you're preaching this, you're doing all of that. It makes no difference. It's not the spirit of Christ. Jesus said, you don't know the spirit by which you are made of. Praise the Lord. So, the most challenging thing that I mentioned the last time is, if you have the power to destroy enemies, then why are you wasting all the time doing that in church when you can go to Sabisa Forest and wipe out those people? You don't need to wait for the government. These people have already declared a sworn enemy. They are not pretending about it. We don't want Christians. We want all Christians die in Nigeria. They have declared it. You know, just like Apostle Paul. Right? Why spend your energy in church, in all night, looking and the ones that you don't even know. This one, you know them already. Take that power. Go to Sabisa Forest and shut them down. As long as you can't do that, you are deceiving yourself. You are deceiving yourself. Praise the Lord. We have this much trouble in our country, trouble in Africa, trouble in West Africa, and then we still think we have power to destroy enemies, and yet we can't. One of the good brothers, when I was sharing this on Facebook, he made a statement that said, for him, if you think you have power to destroy enemies, then you can use that power to save the enemy. And that's true. Jesus can destroy, but he used the power instead of destroying to do what? To save Paul. Jesus can destroy, but instead of using the power to destroy those people in the village. Remember, when the disciples said, let's go down fire, it was not two people. He wanted the whole village to be consumed. Let's go in a fire to consume them. The whole village. As Elijah did. You understand what I'm saying? It wasn't one man that they wanted to consume. It wasn't two men. As Jesus told them, you don't know what kind of spirit you are made of. You want to destroy a whole village because they refuse an entrance. Refuse me an entrance to the village. You want to destroy the whole village. Fire to come and consume the whole village. Can you imagine? I mean, I just want to picture. Assuming Jesus said, okay, go ahead. And they really call down fire. And fire start consuming the whole place. So they'll be happy, right? Seeing people getting roasted, burning, and all that. They'll be happy. It's terrible. Hallelujah. So, the word again is saying this. Romans 12, 21. Hallelujah. Living Bible says, don't let evil get the upper hand, but conquer evil by doing good. Amen? Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Don't let evil conquer you. That means evil can conquer you. Praise the Lord. Last week we looked at this spirit, I mean, this passage, and I would like us to touch it again. In Luke chapter 4, looking at 18, we touched it briefly last week, but let's touch it again. 18 to 19, Luke chapter 4. Okay, 17 anyway, to 20. Luke 4. 
Jesus went to the temple and then uh, he was given the book to read. Which is a scroll and the Bible says he opened to the page where Isaiah wrote. So here we said, and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. And I want you to know that. Verse 20. Well, as soon as he said acceptable year of the Lord, he closed the book. Okay. Now, remember... He opened to the place where Isaiah wrote. So where was that in Isaiah? Isaiah 61. Go to Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Isaiah 61 verse 1. Because he has anointed me to preach God tidings unto the big. He has sent me to bind up the broken altar, to preach liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. And then verse 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now look at that now. And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that more. Now look at that. The day of vengeance. When he was supposed to get to that place, he read only the A part and then he closed the book. Why? Because he did not come for vengeance. Praise the Lord. So essentially, vengeance is not part of the ministry of Jesus Christ. So you're thinking of paying back anytime somebody wronged you, you do not have the spirit. <laughs> Amen? Now this is why it is difficult for us to embrace his teaching to say, if a man slap you on this cheek, turn the other one. No, you slap me on this, I'm going to slap you on back. That's what we do. The wife insults you, you want to insult back. You see, there's a principle there. What Jesus was trying to say, if you don't resist evil, evil will dissolve. <laughs> Hallelujah. Come on, now you follow what I'm trying to say here. If you don't resist evil, evil will dissolve by itself. If you don't report, I mean, Retort back, for instance. Your husband abused you. If you don't have you back, he can end up being ashamed of himself. At the end of the day, your husband insults you and say, Oh, is it because of that that you insulted me? <laughs> it's fine, no problem. You just laugh it off, whatever the case may be. You may feel the pain, but I'm trying to make you understand he is going to feel ashamed of himself. Amen. You don't pay back evil with evil. Don't allow evil to conquer you. Conquer evil with good. Praise the Lord. A man asked you, Jesus said, to walk one mile, walk two miles. What is that supposed to mean? Enduring the persecution that a person is bringing on you. It's just a level of endurance. That's what he's speaking about. Praise God. So now you can understand why he rebuked the disciples when he said they want to call that fire from heaven. In Luke chapter 5 verse 55. Praise the Lord. So, how is now the ministry of killing our ministry? That's my question. How is now the ministry of killing have become our ministry. And we are proud to do that. We are happy to do that. And we call people to come that we may help them to kill their enemies. How has that translated to become a ministry? Point is this, you're watching Batelicus. If this is what you do, the same rebuke that Jesus rebuked the, the two disciples is coming to you today. 
And Jesus is still talking to the church and all ministers. You do not know the kind of spirit by which you are what? You are made of. You don't understand your new birth. Praise God. So, again, a very simple translation. Let's look at that. Romans 12, let's look at verse 19. Take it from the NLB or whatever. Let's take it from a very simple translation. Romans 12, verse 19. Dear friends, never take revenge. Can I hear an amen? Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture said, I will take vengeance. I will pay them back, says the Lord. He is the one that says going to pay, not you. And one of the reasons why he says you shouldn't take vengeance is this. You know, there's a common song that we used to sing in those days, I used to listen to. The last court is the deepest. First court is not the deepest. In other words, if somebody gives you a court now, it may be just some inches deep. But if you want to revenge by cutting back, you may get some extra inches deeper. You understand that? The first court is not the deepest. The second court, the last court is always the deepest. Somebody may just cut you here and you will take a match and you want to revenge, you may even slice off the whole hand. The implication of that is this. You don't know how to measure punishment equally. That is only what God can do. Praise the Lord. God knows what type of punishment to give to whoever deserves because it's a righteous judge. Now, if I cut your finger, for instance, and you cut my hand, there's no justice there. You did not revenge to gain justice. The punishment is not equal. The offense is not equal. Are you getting what I'm trying to say? Yeah, you don't know how to measure revenge. So don't do it. Because you may go beyond. And that's why people always say, two wrongs cannot make a right. So, I injured you and you want to injure me back. You may do it beyond the injury I give to you. Are you following what I'm saying? Leave that to God. Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay. So just keep your cool. I'm going to take charge of that. Praise the Lord. Are you still there? Let me show you an example of this. Exodus 23. Let's look at verse 22. Look at what God said. Verse 22. Can we take it from a simple translation? But if you are careful to obey him, when he says obey him, talking about the angel of his presence, which is Jesus Christ, following all my instructions, then I will be an enemy to your enemies. And I will oppose those that oppose you. Praise God. Okay, go back to the King James and then maybe you take it from Amplified Translation. Let's just look at this verse. See what I mean. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I, I speak, then I will be an enemy unto your enemies and an adversary unto what? Your adversary. So, whoever opposes you, whoever persecutes you, whatever the case may be, the Lord said, no, listen, all you need to do is to obey the voice of my son, Jesus Christ, the angel of his presence, and then I will be an enemy to your enemy. I will be an adversary to your adversary. That's why I say vengeance is what? It's mine. Don't enter into that. By implication, there is a warfare declared now between your enemies and God. And God says, stay out. I'm going to be there to fight for you. But now you want to do the fighting. Let's look at the Amplified. Amplified translation. But if you will indeed listen to and obey his voice and all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies, an adversary to what? To your what? Your adversaries. It's so simple. It's so simple. So, what should be your concern? Your concern should be listening to the voice of God. The voice of the Son of God. The voice of His angel, which is Christ. If you can listen to that. 
He takes charge of your enemies. It is it's vengeance is mine. Romans 12, 19. It's not yours to revenge. No. It belongs to God. What is your responsibility? Obey his voice. Listen to what he says. I will be an enemy to your enemy and be an adversary to, what? to your adversary. Those who want to oppose you, I will oppose them. It's easier for God to oppose your enemy than for you to start opposing your enemy. You're going to spend all your time doing all of those warfare. The real warfare that the Bible asks us to do is warfare based on prophecy. War, a good warfare. What the prophecies that has come upon you. That is where your warfare lies. Praise the Lord. Are we still here? So this is Jesus Christ that the Lord is talking about. And like I learned last week, you know in Proverbs 23 verse 5, he said, I'll prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. So why are you concerned about the enemy? Why don't you think about the food? Be concerned about what God is doing in your life. Be concerned about his will for you. Be concerned about the ministry he's giving to you. Be concerned about the assignment he wants you to carry out for him. Let that be your concern. Not what enemies are doing or trying to do or wants to do. No. Those are distractions. Praise the Lord. Amen. Are we still here? So, I needed to get this right, folks. Like I said before, when you allow God to give you this meal and they are alive, and he's serving you the table, the enemies will be able to know the greatness of who? Of God. And they will turn around to say, I better worship this man, I mean worship the God of this man, instead of going the way I'm going. Praise the Lord. I better worship the God of this man. So, let's round up again with this scripture, Proverbs 25. From the Living Translation, if you will, NLT. Proverbs 25, 21, and 22. Hallelujah. If your enemies are hungry, not one. <laughs> you may be thinking of one enemy, but God is talking about many enemies. If your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. If they are thirsty, give them water to drink. You will heap burning coals of shame on your head. And the Lord will do what? Will reward you. Praise the Lord. The Lord will reward you. Let me even show you something very simple again that he gave as a way of instruction. Exodus 23. Look at verse 4. Exodus 23. Look at verse 4. If thy meet thy enemy's ox or his ass going astray, that shall surely bring it back to him again. I mean, can you do that? You see your enemy's property getting destroyed. Can you come down to rescue that property? Be honest to yourself. You may call this Old Testament. People think, you understand that? But here is the spirit of what God says you do to your enemy. If you see your enemy on the road with the car, the tire is flat. Will you be able to stop to bring uh, your jack so that they can help to Get the tire fixed. Can you do that? Hallelujah. Look at the next verse. Let's look at verse 5. If thou say the acts of him that hated thee, <laughs> lying under the burden, under his burden, I would not forbear to help him. Thou shalt surely help with him. Take a simpler translation on this verse. If you say that the donkey of someone who hates you, 
Oh no. Has collapsed under his load. Do not walk by. Instead, stop and help. If need be, carry the load. Remember, it's the man that hates you. Not your relation. Not your friend. This is the spirit of Christ. Praise the living God. How many of us want to do that today? No, think about it. How many of us? You see your, somebody who hates you, you know this might hate me. And then you see his property going bad. Or perhaps even see the child sick from school. What will you do? What will be your response? You see the little child shivering, shaking, maybe it's feverish, whatever the case may be. And you find, oh, well, he's a child of uh, James, nice James child. You understand that? And maybe your daughter will be saying, Mommy, say, hey, leave, the, leave, leave him. The father is a wicked man. The father is a wicked man. He will do nothing. The father, you don't know who the father is. The father hates me like nobody else. You probably want to allow that little child to die. Just because the father hates you. You are not a believer. You are not a believer. See. You are making your way. Let me use the language of a common language. You are making your way into heaven. If you can practice this message that I'm teaching recently. You are walking into heaven. This is the narrow way. The narrow way. That leads to eternal life. I don't know if you follow what I'm saying now. Is a narrow way. And few people have been able to find this. It's a hard thing for you to be able to come down to assist your enemy whose property or building or child is dying. It's hard. That's why it's a narrow way to eternal life. It's not everybody that can do that. You know, all people, all that people ever say is, oh, Moses said, tooth for the tooth and for an eye. They don't even understand what Jesus was saying in that context. You say, Jesus, I mean Jesus. We do you think really gave the law? Is it not God? They have no understanding. What God was saying when he said, tooth for the tooth and half for an eye. Okay, how will he say, tooth for the tooth and half for an eye? Then he come down here and say, assist your enemy. Is that not conflicting? That's because we don't understand what he was trying to do. A tooth for a tooth and an eye for an eye means there are certain laws only God can fulfill. You can fulfill them. Praise the living God. So for instance, redeeming mankind, you can't because no matter what you try to do, you use an animal, you know, for sacrifice, the blood of the animal is not the blood of the equivalent or that of a man because man's blood is more precious than that of an animal. So a tooth for a tooth simply means if you have to get life, right, you must offer life which is equivalent to the life that was destroyed. So what is the implication? Man died in Adam. And so for man to be redeemed, the equivalent of the blood of man has to be offered. So you now see Acts chapter 20 verse 28. God had to share his own blood. So he fulfilled the law of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Those are spiritual laws that God intended to fulfill all by himself. You can't fulfill them. Praise the Lord. So here he's telling you, this is what I want you to do. You have an enemy and the donkey has got some problem on the way. Stop on there. Help the donkey or perhaps help the load if you have a better means of carrying the load. Let the donkey be free. Don't allow the donkey to die under the load just because the man is your enemy. You don't have the spirit of Christ. Praise the living God. Are we still here? So man, this is what God is sharing with us this season and I pray and I believe. You add this to your, to your scheme, to your I don't know what to describe it now. Your ethics. Add this up to the things that God has ordained for your life and have been showing you on a personal level. 
on how you can become truly who he intends you to be. This is working out your own salvation. This is saving up against the reigning day, against whatever thing you're going to call judgment day. But you see what? By the time you walk in this principle, you don't have anybody to judge you. God is not even going to judge you because you're walking in this principle, which has to do with the very life of Christ. He said, if we judge ourselves, we have no need for any man to do what? To judge us. Praise the living God. So, friends, an eye for an eye, a two for a tooth, is not what we are talking about today. And that's because people don't understand that. What Jesus said, what the Lord is saying is, do good to your enemies. Obey my voice. I'll be an adversary to adversary. I'll be an opposer to those who want to oppose you. Even those who oppose the you, I'm going to stand on the way to take charge. Just take care of the food that I prepared for you as I prepare a table before you in the presence of these people. To show forth my power, my glory, and my might. And in the midst of that, you're becoming my true son because you're receiving more of my spirit into your life. Praise the living God. And so, the rebuke he gave to the enemy, I mean, to his own disciple, we don't necessarily have to come to you because you understand that that is not your spirit. So like he told the disciples, you don't know what manner of spirit that you are what you are made of. Why? Because they wanted to make revenge. They wanted to, you know, kill people. You are not called to keep people. You are called to save. What am I trying to make you understand tonight? Do good. Anywhere, anytime. Wherever you find yourself. You are a child of God. That's what qualifies you to be a child of God. That's what revealed to you and in you and through you the very spirit by which you are born again as a believer. Praise God, somebody. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org. God bless you.